are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. This is episode eight. It is legacy number 508, and we're here to talk about a bunch of new number ones this week, a couple of other books as well. But I'm here with my man, Matt. What up, Matt? What up, Jim? What up? And we're going to start off with a book that a lot of people, when it was announced, they kind of, you know, groaned and moaned. I even had a video about it of the idea. I was joking because Marvel sent out an email that said, here's what you asked for. And my whole play of this (laughs) video was like, I didn't ask for this. But then people kind of didn't watch the video and attack me or other people support it. And by the end, I did kind of say, well, we'll see how it is when it comes. And I was afraid that since that announcement was months and months ago, that maybe the hype would die down from Spider-Boy and maybe it wouldn't kick in as, you know, big as I thought it might have back at that point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I haven't heard much about Spider-Boy since. You've had a couple of things with the Spider-Verse stuff and whatnot, but a lot of people will go into this just kind of saying, I don't like Dan Slot, so I'm not going to get involved. I get it. But me and you have actually, as it approached, we were looking forward to this. Here it is, and I think that both of us will agree, especially you. You told me before I even read it, it's it's fun. Yeah, That's I like all it. it is. It's just a fun book. It's not going to be a mind bender. Nope. It's not going to end up changing the world or anything. But if you want some fun, slightly all ages feel, I said to you before we started that it reminds me with that feel of, say, a Super Sons book. Yep, exactly. DC, like that. And people always like that. And I think that at this point, having it's it's a weird play. Like a lot of times, these characters feel forced, but Spider Boy has been around enough that this is just that side book. If you don't want to read it, you don't have to. But it doesn't feel as forced as maybe some other things. Like Spider Boy doesn't show up, and he's not part of the Avengers right away. <laughs> Nobody remembers them. So you have that play where. It's even less forced because everybody in the universe is just like, who's this kid? They think mm-hmm. he's a monster. And it's a cool little setup and the little stuff that you get with Peter, with Spider-Man. It's nice and it's fun. And it, it might lead to Peter actually taking more care of Spider-Boy, of Bailey and trying to make things right. So I, I actually did enjoy this issue. I'll give you the credits and then we'll talk about it. It is Spider-Boy number one written by Dan Slott. You end up having two stories, which I'll tell you right now. The first story, I think, is the the place to be. Yes. The second definitely. story felt a little extraneous. You even said it's there to bump the price, which is unfortunate. But the first story's art is by Paco Medina. The second story, Balloonacy, art by Ty <laughs> Templeton. And when we get to that, that's more of like a goofy... The whole play, even in the first bit, it's all for fun. It even has a little of a Silver Age kind of tinge to the villains involved because you're not Uh going to have real dark, dark things, even though it does get a little darker than I thought it would. But you start out and you have Gutterball, which we kind of saw before, but you have Gutterball, who is the bowling ball head bowling alley <laughs> villain we've seen him before you're saying i don't yeah, remember. i think that we saw him at the end of like the last thing that we had spider boy in that they were Could alluding right, yeah. to the fight Gutter that ball. was going to happen here that's why you end up here in this fight mm-hmm. and uh that's why he says i told you you know he may look silly but it's this so you end up where gutter ball there and 
I mean, he's a guy with a bowling ball. He has his bowling shirt on, but he does have two pretty big guns. But yeah, they those shoot are out bowling pins. <laughs> they are shooting bowling pins. You're right. <laughs> but they are big guns. Like, he actually <laughs> looks more threatening. But you're going to get some things in, depending on where you're coming into this, what you want, what to expect. If you have things like stay in your lane. Hey, what do you have a hole in your head? Hey, luckily he got spared. He's pinning people down. I like I like the bowling jokes. They're pretty funny. And so what you have here though is the fun play where and everybody always tells me I have to be reminded all the time when I end up saying, "Oh my god, this, you know, Spider-Man is too funny or too quick." Oh, he's known for that. So in this, Spider-Boy is trying to maybe keep up with Spider-Man. And they end up having a pun war that gets really ridiculous. But it's kind of fun <laughs> as they take down this ridiculous villain, even when they punch him in the face, but he's got a bowling ball head. And then he yeah. kind of gets shoved through the wall and they end up saving a bowling alley. You know, that's what you're going to have gutter ball attack. They end up saving him. Everybody is hooting and hollering. Unfortunately, at one point, most of the credit goes to Spider-Man. While people are afraid of Spider-Boy because there has been headlines in the Daily Bugle that Spider-Boy is a monster, he's a freak, and I thought that it was a weird play that they said he was a threat and not a menace, but then Spider-Man ends up going to the Daily Bugle and talks to Robbie and says, Mm -hmm. you know, you sat there on your hands to the most point of when Jay Jonah was saying I was a menace. Don't do this to this kid. He's just a boy. And they're like, well, he is a monster. Like, yeah, technically. <laughs> you end up having Spider-Man wants to rehabilitate Bailey's image a bit. He says, can you give him the key to the city? <laughs> I'm not the mayor, Spidey. Seriously. So yeah. you end up where this girl's there and says, oh, because she's from the bowling alley. We can give the key to the bowling alley. It's, everything is going to be smaller. So wait, so, so this girl just couldn't get there fast enough to talk to the Daily Bugle about what happened? She just uh, zipped over there, right? I mean, yeah, she she's in a private meeting wait. with the editor-in-chief about this. It's a big exclusive. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? I mean, she really ran there quick. <laughs> uh, Spidey seems to, you know, swing right over there. She's already there. Yeah. But you, you have this play again. I guess Things like where you have a Spider-Man book that has the big things going on. This is Spider-Boy. You're going to have littler things. So in this, they decide, well, we'll have a ceremony and we'll end up thanking Spider-Boy for saving the bowling alley. And we'll give him the key to the deal. And it it was funny where they end up saying, we'll let him bowl for free. Mm -hmm. It's kind of goofy, but it works for just a Spider-Boy. Right away, I was thinking, does he get to eat for free? He yeah, asked the question. he was asking, yeah. Can I play the games for free? Can I have the hot dogs for free? He doesn't <laughs> really want to bowl. He wants to play <laughs> video games and eat nachos and the hot dogs. And, and, and Peter's like, yeah, I don't know about that. You'll have to see. But they're going to have this ceremony, and, and Peter really wants to make it that you go alone. This is your thing. This is the way that you can end up making things better. And then we go to where Peter's trying to find Bailey, trying to go around town looking, goes to feast because he has been with Aunt May, but he ends up finding out that he is off with his friend where they're staying with Christina Zhu, mm-hmm. who is a family that he ended up saving in Spider-Verse. So they are allowing him to stay with them, and she knows his identity. And she even, they make the joke, the idea, well, I was worried that you were the Spider-Boy monstrosity, but then when you ended up unmasking and I saw you were Ginger, that's even worse. And they start <laughs> laughing. It's all just good fun. And so that leads for Peter to come in. And again, there's going to be jokes where Dan Slott, you're going to get that eye roll of him trying to be funny by using the, 
hello, fellow kids. I'm like, yeah. all right, Dan, just stop. But they end up where Bailey ends up, hey, I told her my secret identity. He's like, dude, you've only been back for like that long at all. And you're already telling people, it's fine. It's okay. But he ends up finding out that he's going to end up being, you know, the newest hero. He's going to get celebrated at this bowling alley. In the meantime, you need a villain, and we end up having mm-hmm. Madame Monstrosity, a villain that fits this book. I mean, that's the thing about it. You're going to have goofy stuff. She is a woman who makes monstrosities, yeah. We find out that she actually made Spider-Boy. We actually get a bit of an origin deal where he was captured, and he was turned into Spider-Boy. The thing is, though, she doesn't remember that because nobody remembers him. So when we get the flashback to the origin, it's a cool play. She's mad at first because she thinks that Bailey is like stealing her thunder. I make the hybrids. What is this kid doing? To then later find out she actually made him but doesn't remember. And that that is a cool play. Yeah, she saw him in the last issue. I think it was like, that's one of mine. But she couldn't remember where and why it happened. Yeah, so that's a cool little play. And you end up Mm -hmm. where he's at the whole, uh, you know, this big ceremony. At the bowling alley, and it's funny, they're going to give him a ceremonial bowling ball, but he thinks that it's Gutterball's <laughs> head. They it looks like it. It does. It looks just like it. It's a weird play. And he's like, did you behead Gutterball? And it's like, <laughs> it almost presenting, here you go. And he's, she's like, no, what, we would never do that. That's just a bowling ball. But then you end up having this Madame Monstrosity who's been trying to you know, figure out and find the spider ball in that play of. I wish that there was just a way that we know exactly the time and place he'd be. Well, obviously, it's the ceremony and the attack is on. And you have this play where all of a sudden this big giant monster is going to attack everybody. And Bailey ends up recognizing this kid, Eli, Mm -hmm. from when he was made himself. So you go back and see that flashback. Now, Eli does not remember Bailey. And at one point. I think Bailey is actually worried that he thinks Eli's mad at him for kind of making the idea of what he becomes. He becomes a rhino elephant combo. Yeah. They're, they're there. And once you end up where Bailey gets turned into Spider Boy, and he's freaking out. And this guy, Eli, who hasn't been turned into anything yet, tries to cheer him up. They're like, hey, did you hear that Madame Monstrosity made this combination of a duck and a cow. You know what they get? Milk and quackers. He gets <laughs> silly jokes like that, but it works for kids. Yeah, it works because he starts cracking up. He doesn't worry about it anymore. And then they start making up stuff together. Then at the end, you end up where you have Spider-Boy, who we don't know who his real mother is yet. He actually almost says something at one point at the bowling alley, but doesn't. But you end up where he then says, oh, you know what you get with an elephant and a rhinoceros? Me and my mom would play this game. You know what you get? Hell if I know, but that's the name. And I'm like, I don't know. That wasn't that great. <laughs> I didn't laugh that much. Elephant and a rhino, I guess. Elephant uh, and a rhino. You got to go el- with. You got to go with. L if I know. Don't pronounce the H. Make it like British. L yeah. if I know. Hello, love. Hello, yep. love. So you end up where that said, and it's like, okay, it's just kind of forced to get what's going on because Madame Matrassi comes in and goes, oh, that's interesting. Well, that's Why a good idea. Two animals. I think I'll do this with Eli. So. You end up Bailey yelling, I was just joking, don't do that, don't do that. But that's what he got, ended up getting turned into, and that's who's attacking, hell if I know. So you end up where, of course, we're going to get Christina say, Spider-Boy, who is this guy? (laughs) Hell if I know. Well, if you don't know, why'd you say, like, we're going to get, you know, who's who's on first first going on, right? So you end up where 
Yeah, and it's kind of a cool play because you think that Bailey thinks, oh my God, he's still mad at me, kind of making what he became, but he doesn't remember him. He doesn't remember him. So as they're fighting, he is being controlled by Madame Monstrosity, and Madame Monstrosity wants to see if, in fact, Bailey is one of her creations. And the way you can see is by these barcodes on the back of their neck. That is mm-hmm. actually shown. You end up where Hell If I Know picks up Bailey and then pulls the mask from behind, and you end up seeing that barcode. And she's like, yeah, it is one of mine, but I don't remember that. But Bailey remembers or at least says, Eli, you don't have to do this. And hell if I know, Eli, how do you know my name? Like, what's going on? And so he's taken aback by that. And then you end up, because he doesn't remember, Bailey was erased. So he says, just don't worry about, you're not a monster. I know you're not a monster. Don't let her make it. Yeah, we look like monstrosities, but you don't have to be bad like this. And ends up having that controlling in the camera deal where he rips it off of Eli and smashes it and says, you know, I know everybody's forgotten me, but I know you're better than this. So he ends up actually letting Spider-Boy go. Spider-Boy runs away as you have Madam Monstrosity yelling through that device like, is he there? Did you get him? Are you bringing him back? And he's like, no, no, he turned into a bunch of spiders and got away. And I do <laughs> like where Madam Monstrosity goes like, he can really? do that? Man, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I just think that that's like a, a play of like, yeah, pretty good. I, I must have done that back in the day, but they can't remember her. But that's the big play in this is that you end up where there's this hell if I know runs off and this Christina comes up and says oh my god are you going to be able to take that monster down that's your villain are you going to be able to and he goes I'm not going to take him down I want to save him and it Mm -hmm. ends nice I mean if if the issue itself ended right there and yeah the price point would have to be lower why would he take him down though I mean it is his friend he's right like this is he doesn't remember him but Bailey remembers him yeah Bailey remembers I don't think that Christina knows you know the background and also an an elephant and a rhino is just an elephant with two extra tusks on it so it does say he has thick skin yeah I guess the elephants have thick skin too I mean it was all for that joke yeah but overall if it ended there, I'm I'm already like, all right, I like this. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah. continue reading it. Then you get the, and I'm not saying the backup is horrible. What I'm saying is just the backup just felt like I've already had the story that I kind of was wanting. And okay, I got some background. It feels kind of cool. And then it just kind of feels like it drags on a bit because of this balloonacy backup and mm-hmm. there's a slight art change of fact I, mean, I don't love the art as much bailey looks a lot younger in this too smaller and it weird. seems like the backup will be more of just solo maybe solo adventures team ups even with other characters as bailey just goes and does this. i like it because it has a thanksgiving theme to it too which is kind of what's going on now so so you have a thanksgiving day parade going on in new york city and christina takes them out to see all the balloons and all the people and as they are going he says, hey, let me, you know, get my costume on and let's get us up on the top of the building because we can watch these, you know, the parade better and Squirrel Girl's there and they're having fun and a balloon comes up and he grabs it. You get to see his one power. He doesn't have a spidey sense of danger to him. If he touches objects, he can see if other people are in danger of mm-hmm. premonition type deal, which Squirrel Girl thinks is great. And he ends up where, oh, no, it's the balloon man who is uh, up to no good. He sees that. So they go down, and the balloon man's goofy. I like that he's this guy who has to have a helium helmet on, but yeah. <laughs> he talks really. It, it doesn't play out as well on the page that he's talking as if he's 
got helium, so he's got. That's that just funny because everybody's making fun of his voice, but he, despite, but Bailey's like, "Don't do that." He's sensitive about that. And, and Bailey seems to be the only one who really knows this guy and uh-huh. remembers him and says, "This guy's deadly." He's as bad as Magneto. He just controls gases instead. So he he controls gases, but the way he does it is through these like balloon animals. <laughs> and the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men that come out of the sewers. You know, you have all that going. So it is funny. But when the gases end up like they, Squirrel Girl says, I, I can take care of this. Start her and the squirrels start popping all the balloons. But they have gases in them. They have laughing gas and sleep gas and things. She ends up getting laughing gas and is like, this is the worst thing ever as she's laughing. Oh, no, we're <laughs> all going to die. And she's laughing. And he's like, I told you, you can't do this. So they end up. Kind of solving it by getting these balloon animals, these little things, and end up, hey, we're just going to end up, you know, getting static electricity. We'll connect them to the wall here. We won't pop them, but we'll deal with them later. But the big play is that this polymer X, it it gets a little wacky. It gets a little Mm -hmm. too much. The idea that he let this gas out that then ends up making all of the big giant parade balloons like Hyperion there, he end up where they can't. He popped, and now they're his inflatable giant balloon like army. Stay puffed marshmallow. Type yeah, you thing. have, you have the state. You have all the the classics that are going to go, and now these things are kind of coming to life, and now they're going to attack. It's just goofy, but mm-hmm. like I said, it, it it ends up feeling like it maybe a couple pages too long. I guess they had like a page count they needed to get to to charge six bucks, and they had to get to that, but. At the end, it, it's so goofy and so ridiculous. It's fun enough, but by the end, I'm like, all right, I, I kind of need less of this and more of the let's save my friend, Madame Monstrosity, you know, all that going on with even Eli Helifino and, and stuff like that, or Helifino, if you want to say Fino. Uh, but by the end, I still like this. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a pretty good start. It's non offensive that people thought that it was just going to be over the top, just bad. I think this is one of those books, if you like, you know, all ages feel like having fun, like having kid heroes. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't, but I do. So I, I did like this. Uh, how about you? What would you give it? 8.5 for me. I like I'm uh, an 8.5 as well. He's a good addition to the uh, Spider-Man family. And uh, it, a slot does a good, you know, good with like weaving in his backstory and keeping it kind of mysterious, not laying it all out there to begin with, which I like. Yeah. And at this point, I like that just he has this own book here where you can develop them if if you're not into it you don't have to read it and but if you do you can have some fun and i i think it like i said earlier it has that like super sons feel has that all ages type feel that i do like and i like having these books as an option to just everything big and dark yeah it's not it's not like uh you don't have to do homework to read it you don't have to like you know obsess over what's going on it's just for fun and i mm-hmm. have some fun so i'm eight five as well but yep with that we'll move on to the next book and moving on we have dr strange number nine and that is written by jed mckay pascal ferry on art colors by heather moore letters by Corey Petit. it's nebraska part one nebraska we end up having this whole play. Me and you actually did like the idea of General Strange. Thought it was pretty cool, right? Yep, the idea yeah. that he ended up fighting that endless war, that forever war, it changed him. You know, war changes a man, Matt. I, I don't know if you'd realize this. And they end up trapping him, and now he's gotten out and he's fighting Stephen, Doctor Strange. This issue, though, 
It's just a fight. I, yeah. I understand they have to fight, but it really is just take that, pow, bang, pew, pew. Oh, my God, you hurt me. Now I hurt you. Now you hurt me. While you end up having General Strange just yell stuff at Steven like, <laughs> hey, the Vashanti will use you later. Hey, you don't understand what I went through. Oh, my God, you're even more ridiculous. I love the idea that he first off says, I just want to kill you because I'm realizing how weak I used to be. Like, oh, my God, like, you're the weak part of me. I got but then later ends up saying, man, you're more evil than me. You really jumped to it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of just back and forth. And you end up having a little narration. You get a little fancy with it. The art by Pascal Ferry, it, it gives you that psychedelic feel. Yeah, it's very colorful, too. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, you end up where nothing in this is going to be anything that's crazy enough to say, oh, my God, it's a must read. It's one of those when I got done, I'm like, all right. You actually were joking. You said you got General Strange. You got Doctor Strange. They battle the end. Now, the only other thing is, and some of it gets lost a bit in the the fight, a little translation problem where the idea where Clea is there to get her unborn sister. So you end up having General Strange, who has an army of kind of constructs around kids and unborn kids going. So strange. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and when that happens, it just kind of happens. And I think that when Clea yells to Dr. Strange, she yells to Stephen, watch, you can't fight his army. They're kids. They're children. They're, in the case of her sister, unborn child. And he goes, oh, oh, yeah. That's what I said, too, because I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't really get that. Even when you see him, it just looks like a bunch of construct knights. And she and Clea is trying to reason with them, but they wouldn't even know how to talk or understand anything anyway. Clea is legitimately as the unborn sister in a construct attacks her. She starts trying to reason with it and then decides by the end, the only way I can stop this is to actually make you become a a kid. You know, you're now born. And it's kind of a weird play the way it went, because even then, what does a little baby know? Like, it's it's nothing. I mean, it's goo goo gaga, probably hungry, probably crapped itself, and then it's (laughs) upset. But she ends up, and it's cute, it looks like her. And even then, when she's reasoning with it, you could go with the idea of magic, maybe ups the ante, but still. Like, I know you're a warlord, you want to fight, but not this fight. You're you're not bad like this. I'm like, well, no, she isn't. She's really nothing yet. So she ends up where Clea's sister, unnamed as of yet, gets born. Then in the meantime, you end up having General Strange has the Mysterium dagger that yeah. Clea actually tried to kill him with and then stabs Steven with it. He goes down talking about how he has no more magic. Oh, my God. And you get these weird plays in this. The whole play of this whole arc seems to be, you know, the idea of not going over the top, not losing your humanity, but also relying on friends. There's the power of friendship and love and also the Vashanti are nonsense. But that's always the case. I mean, he went to the Vashanti and, and really told them, go screw yourself. I don't need you because of what you did to General Strange. And then also has the Trinity of Ashes. Like all these things are just kind of thrown at you. And and nothing really stuck with me except for the idea 
They fought a lot, and at Uh the end, I'm not so sure that Doctor Strange has his powers back because he pulls the dagger out, but there's a lot of talk of that. And then also that wand with Wong Pandora and Dr. Z have shown up in their psychedelic Grateful Dead Zeppelin. You know, you end up where <laughs> I guess Fish is not touring at the moment, so they're going to go and help Dr. Strange. That's what I get. And in that play, I, I'm sure a lot of people actually like this Dr. Z. <laughs> For some reason, he's all right, I guess. I forgot about him. Yeah, I forgot about him, too. He annoys me just because in the way of me thinking if I had to hang out around this guy. He probably would be annoying as crap, probably talking about Pink Floyd all the time and probably goes to those stupid light shows and things. But even at the one point where they're they're manning up and, and getting the Zeppelin to get going and it's just words strung together to seem fancy. And that's where I'm getting this. And I know that you're going to get fancy with the Doctor Strange book. Some of the stuff that we've had has been pretty good. This is where when you're in the battle of the cosmic, you're going to get over-the-top narration. It's never my thing, but I, I just, I don't know. People may disagree, but I don't feel like it's Jed McKay's strong point either. I think that he writes some pretty good character bits. He seems to know the, the history of the characters. The voices are okay, all mm-hmm. that, but not the cosmic Grant Morrison feeling stuff. You know, when you're there and, and just have Wong going down a checklist, I mean, seriously, just hit go. And go in your <laughs> yellow submarine. Just get going. And he's checking list. Uh, or gone accumulators. Check. Hallucinogen generators. Check. That's like, you're just that's like Cy Spurrier dialogue. Yeah, that's what it is. It feels like. And again, Cy Spurrier, I'll give him one bit of credit. He <laughs> always does that bull crap. I, I don't really need it. Now, in the Moon Knight stuff, which a lot of people, that's their big thing with Jed McKay. I think it's good. Because it is a little more grounded. It doesn't get that. It gets wacky at times, but doesn't get so wacky. I think it's very accessible. But I think that certain characters like Doctor Strange, you almost feel like you have to do some things. But some of it just kind of, it doesn't stick. When you end up where you're in this, like, you know, other realm and you have this, it begins with it. You have when he says, I smell oil and ashes. And really? Like he he says, the texture of crude oil, slick, uh, the smell of a rotten nerve and the cracked molar and above all ashes, greasy, sour, lingering. I'm like, don't need any of that. And while you're doing that, you just have a pretty static image of General Strange about to punch it. That's what you want. But even then, it's a lot of static images of just pow, bang, boom. And then we move on because at the end, you have Stephen who, you know, hopefully doesn't go over the line. You have General Strange saying, oh, man, I'm already corrupting you. You're already way ahead of the schedule of what I was. I also stabbed you with the Mysterian dagger. Clea's got her her sister. But in the meantime, it's the power of friendship. Wong and the whole Wong deal. I said Pandora, Wong, and uh, Dr. C, they come in with the Zeppelin. And I, I, I just get that General Strange will be like, really? Like, that's what you have coming? Like, he's going to laugh. He's going to blow it up immediately. I I imagine, because he even said, this, again, is a a Doctor Strange who has been at war for centuries and says... Centuries? 5,000 years, I think, right? Says, because of that, (laughs) I have mastered everything. He says, I could beat the crap out of Wong in a hand-to-hand bit 
I know all the magics, not just a little, all the magics. And I get, he's just going to shoot a fireball. And this thing is going to blow up and I'll laugh. Oh, my. And, and you have at the end where Dr. Z then says, all right, everything is good to go. It's time to freak out. I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm telling you, if I'm Pandora there, I'm like, this is why I hate this guy. I don't need this. And again, they're going to Nebraska because that's where that farm was. But from the beginning to the end, you get Clea's sister. Okay. And you get a bunch of fighting and maybe Dr. Strange really hurt and might be non-magic. But who knows? Because it kind of is a little wrong. We can't have that happen again, can we? <laughs> <laughs> and, and even that, like the idea that, oh my, is he going to die? Like He can't die and he can't lose his magic. That's been done too many times. Let's get to it. And I think that one of Jed McKay's problems in this and the Avengers, which we'll talk about later, I think that at points he might go a little too big, but then doesn't really know what to do once he gets there. And then you just have battles. This week's Avengers, you end up having a nightmare situation where you don't really get anything in the issue till the cliffhanger page. And yeah. this, it's just back and forth, back and forth. They're not really like the backgrounds in this are kind of cool at points, but really they're nothing. They're nondescript. So you're just going back and forth with dialogue and narration. Clea's sister, bada bing, bada boom. We'll see how that plays out. But what are you, any other thoughts? I mean, no, it's, it's like pretty the, quick, the, right? Yeah. Like this Dr. Z guy reminds me of someone you'd seen like a Deadpool comic. He just is like, doesn't really fit in here. I mean, it's funny, I guess, but. Yeah, or in a like a VW van driving <laughs> down the road eating granola. And I don't need that, but he does yeah. look like something like that. He yeah. he's there as kind of comic relief kind of deal, but it's what it is. I yeah. actually like Wand. I, I think that they're they could be interesting with Pandora Wong and Doctor Z. I'm making more jokes just because of the idea of what he is. He's like they're, they're going to go to Nebraska, but they're going to make a stop at the dispensary first so we can get some gummies or something. They jerk. It's like half of my kids <laughs> and my wife. Like, I don't need that. I got enough of that in my regular life. But, yeah, what would you give this? I'd give this one a six, I think. I'm a six. I like the well. art. Yeah. Yeah, everything. It's, it's one of those things, again, it doesn't feel like I say later, the Avengers felt like kind of a ripoff. This didn't. It's just continuing the battle. It's just one of those kind of issues that, you know, a filler issue to get to the deal. It's a weird thing that it's a first part of this Nebraska story, but and part two is ending it. It's I think is at the end next. I'm telling week, you the way that these month. things go, they're very quick little deals, but they kind of, you know, this Nebraska we had it for a couple of. You know what I mean? This isn't necessarily what what I would consider the beginning of this arc because the general strange stuff to me was the beginning. So they kind of. Just throw that out there, but yeah, it says to be concluded this story. I, what are they? What are they going to do? I, are they just going to you know <laughs> bottle up General Strange again, or he's going to be like, oh, what was me? Uh, don't turn into me. My life was shitty, and off I go. I, I don't know. We'll see. I think that this leads to Doctor Strange really, really being against the Vashanti and saying, "You are a bunch of nonsense." Like, because it is him. I mean, they did legitimately do it to him. Mm-hmm. But he's, you know, maybe he says, like, screw you all. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. And uh, ne- Nebraska, that's my least favorite uh, Bruce Springsteen album. I don't, I, don't, I don't like the acoustic stuff. A lot of people like the acoustic stuff. I don't. Bruce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, yeah you, like, you like the rock. I like the E Street Band. I do like the E Street Band as well. But you, you don't like, like, the river and things like that. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, that, that's the weird play with Bruce. But, hey. 
And we're on that side here, New Jersey, Philadelphia area I am. So, yeah, a big, big boss deal. <laughs> More of a Beatles fan. They have a new song out today. So, speaking of trippy nonsense, but we'll yes. see how all this goes. But that is that we but we gave up both the six. It's okay. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't grab it, though. If you haven't been reading Doctor Strange and you want to jump on, I would actually suggest, if anything, go back last issue because we did enjoy that maybe a couple to see what this general still like it better than uh avengers and moon knight so yeah yeah i do too people still hold on to the moon knight deal but i do like this this is kind of the book that gets lost in the shuffle though that man i think a lot of people got thrown off by clea in the strange book and even the death of dr strange that once you get to this point it feels like people have kind of gotten sick of this and but it's it's getting better it actually is getting better. This is just kind of a little lull. So we'll see what happens next. Get Wong, Dr. Z, Pandora, Clea. Her ba- the baby sister is is cute. But yes. again, she's just like sitting there <laughs> just looking. We'll see what happens. I'm, that's what will happen is Clea's sister will end up doing some sort of weird warlord magic, dark magic, and, and end up saving the day. You You watch. That'll or, be they'll, or they'll age her up somehow, so she's a teenager or something. Yeah, put her in a volcano with like <laughs> Ultraman. That would work out. That, <laughs> that always that seems out. to age people up pretty well. But we'll see how it goes. But we're gonna move on. And what we're moving on to, not a book that's a six. It's the new White Widow book. Me and Gray talk about it, and we were not very fond of it. All right, and the next book is a doozy. I am here with my man Gray. What up, Gray? Hey, Eugene. How's it going? Oh, lovely. It was going better before we have to talk about this. So I, I do like talking to you, but when it, it's something like a White Widow, number one, I, I start to question the books that we cover here at, at Weird Science. Because some of these, you read something and you do end up like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll skip this one, but we're not skipping it. We don't skip things. We're going through this. And this is White Widow, number one, written by Sarah Galley, art by Alessandro Miracolo. Colors by Matt Miller and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So we get Yelena Belova. She gets her solo series. You end up, I, I kind of was in a weird way. I was excited to see what this was going to be about. We don't have a true Black Widow book right now. I like Black Widow. I like Yelena. The problem is, is that Sarah Galley seems to have only watched maybe a couple things. And I say watched, not read, because this is straight out of the MCU. And it just doesn't feel right. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, it was um, it was a really tricky one to get through for me. This um, and like you're saying, Jim, I always enjoy. I'll always give the number one a chance. You know, went in like with me hopes, me hopes high, like like the fool that I am. You are a fool. I'm I just am. telling people that fool for your loving. When you read all the number ones, unfortunately, some are number twos, as they say down at the rec center. But you end up where. <laughs> You go into a book like this and you want to know, okay, well, first off, the story, how the character's being played out. But really what gets you in this is this attempt at humor throughout all of it. And I ended up telling you that, first off, you're doing this deal and a lot of times you'll have, oh, the comics, they end up uh, using a story from this. Usually it's the opposite. You end up having the movies or the TV shows, whatnot. They'll base stuff off of a comic well we're kind of shifting that and especially at marvel in my mind because we are getting a bunch of books that do feel like they're only based on the other things but comics so when you get this it feels out of place because the humor in my mind is the humor that people are already sick of they complain about in all the mcu movies and tv shows you know for the past couple of years 
And maybe this would have played out better, you know, about, you know, five, six years ago, maybe. But the yeah. play here, as I get it, it's trying also to be the Matt Fraction Hawkeye, which I do like. Some people don't like it now, whatnot, but I like that. And I liked it then. Right now, this just feels like, again, just a, hey, we're going to do quips. We're going to do little jokes. And in the meantime, we'll set up kind of a story because it's so like it's so straightforward, but yet confusing because you're going to end up convoluting it with all this humor. You're not setting up actual characters. You're not really doing much of a overall deal because by the end, I don't think anybody's shocked. When you find out who the villains are, the villains end up being this mega corporation, almost like an Amazon. They even mentioned that. But also, they seem to be recruiting assassins by sending them, you know, metal arms and hips and things. So that doesn't work out in my mind. That, that already is like, okay, they're the villain. And then at the end, guess what? They're the villain. It's so <laughs> over the top. And even the idea of like one of the jokes is that this girl, Jessica, who we don't really know, and she ends up, well, I have to kill my, you know, my handler, my mentor, because he ended up ditching me when I lost my arm. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Just to get a joke, because the arm is given to her by the company Armament. I'm like, all right, because then I said to you, like, do they change their name to Legament? If somebody loses a leg or Hippament, we get in this, but Here's the thing. Anybody who has any bit of metal on them that isn't named Misty or Knight, just assume they're villains here and they work for armament. But at the beginning, you end up having Cap, who comes to tell Yelena, hey, you can't kill people. You're better than that. Be better than that. Sayonara, sucker, which then leads in a weird way because it's not really that well spelled out for Yelena to say, I'm moving to a small town. I'm sick of those Avengers getting them my business, so I'm going to go to Idlehaven and what it feels like is fire and ice at D.C. You end up having the fish out of water. You end up having Yelena who gets bored with just the regular life, and we're going to end up with her meeting these quirky characters in town as she figures out that, oh, my God, you know, every town, it's it's like that classic where you, you want to have a nice little small town you know, nothing goes wrong. But, oh, my God, there's this evilness here that I have to stop. And this armament just feels silly. Uh, what did you think about it overall before we kind of get a little more into it? It was um, the humor was, well, the attempts at humor. It was just nonstop all the way through. It was so, so annoying. It didn't land for me. And then, as you were saying, Jim, I had no idea about the characters. Even by the end of the issue, I still got no idea about the characters for somebody who's new to it, you know, I want to get a bit of an idea of who they are. There's no setup there, was there? There's a very, very brief uh, recap, just a paragraph, and it doesn't really tell you anything that just she's a rogue, what is it, a rogue spy, a rogue agent. That's it. Okay. And I, I love the idea. Now, at one point, you even laughed at a bit because you end up having like a whiteboard, and, and even that gets convoluted. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to put down my opinions. I want to have a 100 before I die. I'm like, you already have like 98. You're almost there. But it's like love, like neutral, just like hate. It's like too many going on. All you need is love, hate. But one of the hate deals is big syringes, especially in the neck, because they even show, you know, as her as a baby, they came put a syringe in her neck and things. And I love the idea. She says, I can't be a hero because I don't really have 
a dark backstory. I don't have a tragic backstory. Yes, you do. And you actually yeah, show it. Didn't make sense that at panels, all. right? Yeah. I mean, this is the same deal. Like, what is Black Widow? I know it's an anti-hero type of deal, but she's there, and you, you want to like her here because she's the main character. But she's not exactly overly likable in this, she's in my mind. Very annoying. The other people involved are even more because they're not even set up. You end up with this Martha or Martha. At the beginning where the only setup for her to then turn heel, oh, my hip. Like, I hear that every day. It's usually coming from me. I'm an old man, <laughs> <Me too>. Greg. <laughs> oh, my damn hip. I sneeze oh, and I you. break a hip. I need armament to give me new hips. I need it. So you end up where that's it. The setup for this character who's a what she calls a mentee because she's mentoring her. She ends up where Cap comes, starts tossing them around. Really, who she should be mad at is Cap. Not not Yelena, but you have to twist it. You didn't come see me in the hospital. She's like, I didn't know you were hurt. Whatever. And that's like one of the heel turns. Then you get this other woman, Jessica, just is just talking on the phone. She's running this like, hey, I'm an assassin mentor for hire. Hey, what's up, Jessica? I thought it was Jessica Drew at first. And she's like, oh, man, I'm I'm trying to kill all these people. All right, keep doing what you're doing. Oh, man, I don't have an arm, but now I do. It's armament. Oh, great. So once you end up where if you're Elena and here armament is supplying assassins with appendages, things like that, you might want to look into that, especially when you're told by everybody in town that armament has moved in. They're buying up stuff, including Elena's favorite coffee shop. These are the things going on. Where's my beans and jeans? One of the worst names. For a coffee shop I wish that they said Oh didn't you hear We went out of business Because that stupid name Beans and jeans What, what do they sell <laughs> Dungarees and coffee It doesn't make <laughs> sense So you end up with that uh, too And the play of The idea that Armament has Now I'm sure we're going to get Like a Stepford Wives situation Or whatever we'll get Why would they even care About this small town anyway Why would they want to buy up Beans and jeans and then we end up meeting some other characters, including the Zelda lady who owns Sharp Sweets or Sharp Sweets, the, the confectionery place. Like this one, I live in a, a decent sized town. It's not a city, it's outside of Philadelphia, right? We don't have nonsense shops like these. We got a Walmart, we got a, you know, things like that, a giant where we shop. Like this place is like the, Hipster capital, and now all of a sudden, oh no, armaments moved in. I think armaments going to go out of business. I don't think that many people live in this town. It's kind of nonsense. But again, it's railing against something where 10 years ago might have been the thing. Oh no, Walmart's ruining small towns. Even when you go where you have the Welcome to Idle Haven sign, you conveniently don't show the population. A rabbit's there. I'm expecting 15 people live in this town. It's nonsense. But we're going to be introduced to him, and also Yelena has her dog, Bent Clarton. He's it's just Pizza Dog. <laughs> it's just Hawkeye again. It's mm-hmm. just it's nonsense. And even then, you don't even play it up. She's like, "Oh, Piglet, you eat too much. You're eating all the things." And by the way, Yelena hates the Infinity Gauntlet. But yeah, th- through this, I'm trying to have fun with it, but it's not that fun. I mean, certain scenes they go on too long to get nowhere. You end up where finally Yelena goes into this candy shop owned by the Zelda. Hey, what's going on? What happened to beans and jeans? 
oh, didn't you hear they were bought up by armament? Immediately an assassin just smashes through the window. This is a small town. They can't connect the idea where Zelda's like, man, they're really pressuring me to sell, but I own the building because I ended up suing Guar, the band, because a prop, probably like fake semen, ended up getting in her eye or something, so she ended up suing them to use that. That's not likable. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there like, how dare you end up getting upset at a band that, you know, uses props and something went wrong. You, but how who's going to get that anyway? Right? Nobody. I know it's completely random, like, a reference, isn't it? As you say, from 10 years ago, this goes over most people's heads, especially the people that are, I think this writer is aiming for. They don't have a clue who Guar is. No. And, of course, you can't even say Guar, so you kind of... Amazon has to be like Amu's Gron. It's it's just nonsense. But you're trying to be bought out by the evil corporation that's buying everything out. They end up sending an assassin in to attack. The assassin doesn't Mm. do her job very well because never actually says, I'm here for armament and you better do, but it has a metal hip. We then find out it's this Martha from the beginning. Then you also get this Zelda who, how many times does she get attacked at a candy shop in a small town she actually has a bat that looks like a negan bat at first but she has the play of a sock at the end so when they grab the sock she can still hit them i'm like how many people are you beating up in this town like how many, oh my god i need those gummy bears if you're gonna do anything at least make it like a dispensary was it the most dangerous town in america the small town in america wow what this is going on has a negan bat to protect her candy shop in this town, get out of there, Helena. And at the end, you've got her like, she's drinking a bottle of vodka with this Zelda woman, and she's saying, I came to this town to have a normal life. It's like, <laughs> you came to the wrong town, Jim. <laughs> Completely Very wrong town. All she wanted was beans and jeans. Yeah. You know, you, you end up, you drink a cup of coffee, you get all fired up from the caffeine, and obviously you want to buy pants. So you, you have that. So you end up where all this going down, they can't figure out. That armament, the only other thing that's been introduced in this book is the bad guys. You're all you're railing into the idea that armaments ruining, you know, the, the town, ruling the country. You end up where they're like, I don't know. They don't even get to the point where they say, like, who the hell would attack a candy shop? There's only one reason, because she's not selling. That's it. It's armament. Please don't string it out. At one point, she's like Talking about just nonsense. They're looking up stuff. Shit. Uh, Elena's just ridiculously stupid. They can't figure it out. Oh my, let's drink. Hey, I'm making tea. I'm having vodka. I believe it. I believe that there might be problems with the 800 drones flying through town and this guy with his 800 video screens, like it's clockwork orange, but in this it's clockwork brown because it's a bunch of crap. He's there looking, and he's like, oh, my God, this town. Like, what's the deal? <laughs> it's so bad. I'm trying, no to, idea. trying to have some fun with it, but it's it's not that bad. It's forced fun. And when you end up where you're reading it, you just it, you cringe. There are cringy parts in this where, all right, you can even see when you get these other characters from her apartment building or where she lives, you know, this little deal where, all right, well, we're going to deal with that person the next. You know, it's always the quirky neighbors. Oh, man, the small town flavor of this. But it, it's nonsense. Like I said, where at one point, the only concern of this Zelda is that lady who bashed in with the assassin mask and tried to kill us. Why didn't she use the front door? 
why aren't you worried that there's an assassin trying to kill you in a small case? So stupid. Ah, uh, but that's that. <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on it as we end? Just like one random example of dialogue in here, Jim. And this is the part where she's making that list of love-like, you know, neutral dislikes or whatever. And I don't know how well she's meant to be, but she's saying here, I'm working on finding out what I really think about things. It's like, what? You know, you, you don't know what you think. So you're working on finding out what you think. Just the way things are worded in here, it's just all over the place. And the little drops of Russian here and there, it got so annoying when you had to like look down to find out what it was translated as. It's like, why? Why keep doing that? Yeah. And when, and also I said that uh, Sarah Galley by the end realizes, oh crap, I think Yelena might be Russian. I better start really making the dialogue more Russian. It seems like it's when she's drinking. So instead yeah. of saying, you know, all of a sudden she's like, in Russia, armament make you, like whatever she would say. <laughs> she doesn't say that. But the idea of these like weird, disjointed, even regular in English deal to get you that. But that's a that's an audio thing. It doesn't play out as well on the page, especially when it just kind of gets thrown at you. But, yeah, you're, you're reading this and you see this Russian to then, oh, she's calling her dog Bint Clarton. She's calling him a piglet. All right, thank you for pulling me out of the issue so I know that she said piglet. Just say piglet, Yeah, please. exactly. You keep you getting don't. pulled out, don't you? You get pulled out of the story continuously throughout it, not just with the bad writing, but the bad attempts at humor and like the it zero character development. Sorry, but this this was a stinker, Jim, for me. Real bad. It was a stinker. It was a real stinker. What would you give it? I'm going to give this a two. Yeah, I think I'm... Yeah, I think I might go too. Uh, two twos in this podcast that we're doing that is and bad. the art is decent isn't it by yeah, alessandro okay. miracolo it's a miracle you know a miracolo that the art turned out okay yeah I, there's not like anything in it that i'm like oh my god you got to see this panel like i wouldn't send anything no. but some of it's okay it it's gets okay. violent at that one point when you get this jessica once she gets the misty night arm, she is beheading people and slicing them in half yeah she's slicing and dicing man isn't oh, she? And, and the tone just doesn't fit what you just do something it's yeah it's all over the place the tone and so like you said you, we don't know the character that much but you can tell that this is just a you know a humorous version of it i would have rather had a serious one though we find out that she likes the spice girls and hammerhead sharks and pepperoni pizza but she dislikes baby doll dresses and borscht Oh, my goodness. Also, dull knives. Don't forget imperialism as well. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah, hates imperialism. Also, if you look, doesn't like Cyclops because Cyclops won't gossip with it. Like, this is what you got. But I think that most people looking at it, seeing who's writing it and whatnot, kind of might have the idea if they would be into it or not right away. But if you're if you're looking for something serious, this isn't it. You're looking for something that's well thought out and written well, that's not it either. So two out of ten from both of us, but that is it. Thank you for joining me once again, Greg. And everybody check the show notes and go and check out Gray's awesome YouTube channel, Wakasashi's Tea House, where does a ton of things, including me and him get together each week to talk a little Grant Morrison stuff. And we actually have just finished up this week the new X-Men first three issues, uh, the E for Extinction type deal, which was really good that was a blast yeah a lot better than that it was a blast that's almost a pun there oh my r.i.p it it might be that might be too soon greg you're upsetting all the mutants out there so thank you and we're gonna go off in a, a little special section here 
with the whole Ultimate Universe coming out, we had Jason and Ruben actually do that because it's way too long for me to talk about that. If we could get almost 20 minutes out of this book, there's no way that that Ultimate Universe would be forever. So we're going to go to Jason and Ruben talking about that, and then we'll be back with more reviews. Hello, all you ultimate weirdos, lads of iron, and everyone who's ever lost an entire weekend watching a Storage Wars marathon on A&E. It is time for a very special weird dose of Hicks. That's Hicks as in Hickman, Jonathan Hickman, not like those Duck Dynasty guys. New name I'm trying out. Let me know what you think. I am your host, Jason, broadcasting from high atop Weird Science Tower, which is thankfully nowhere near Stark Stain Tower. And here with me live from Hulk-occupied Pacific Northwest is my buddy Ruben. Ruben, how <laughs> excited are you today to talk about a book with almost no mutants in it? You know, I, I'm enjoying the Ultimate Universe stuff, so I, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, for some reason, Jim did not want to talk about uh, Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate Universe number one, so uh, it's it's fallen to us, and I'm pretty excited to get into it, too. We, are, we, we enjoy the way uh, Jonathan Hickman does his world building and... Most of the ways he does mysteries, and yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good time. So today we're here to talk about Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate Universe number one. It's a one shot, so it's not like there's going to be a number two. The job of this book is to set up everything to follow in the new Ultimate Universe. Hickman is very big on world building. He's got a whole creator own thing on the side, three worlds, three moons. I think he's been in the world-building stage of that for like four years now. I don't know. It seems like forever. So let's see how he does in building a whole new world, as the song goes, for Marvel. I would say, in my mind, this is just Ultimate Invasion issue number five. I have exactly that phrase in my notes because, yeah, if anyone is to pick up this, oh, it's a number one. This is setting up the new Ultimate Universe. Let's see how it is. I think you're probably going to be really lost. Gabe on the forum thought, eh, they won't be all that lost. We'll pick up on the clues. I think folks would be pretty lost. So I figured before we get into this issue itself, maybe you and I talk about what this universe is, what it isn't, where it comes from, all that kind of big picture stuff. So if people do go and pick up Ultimate Spider-Man or Ultimate X-Men or Ultimate Black Panther, they have some idea what in the world is going on. Sound like fun? Okay. So first thing, the numerical designation of this Earth is Earth 6160, 6160, my usual joke is that it sounds like a lost Van Halen album. Van Halen? Did I just say Van Halen? Edit that out. My joke is that it sounds like a lost Van Halen album. Uh, the main Marvel universe is, of course, Earth 616. Similar but different number of the universe echoes how this universe is similar but different to the, the one we all know and love. Okay. So this is not the old Ultimate Universe. That was Earth 1610-1610. Love their sixes and ones here. Different universe entirely. So if you think this is a continuation of stuff that happened there with the Ultimates and all the plot lines just kind of got dropped at the end, you're going to be disappointed. It's not connected. Yeah, it's a continuation of the Maker's story, but that's essentially right. that's, it. That's the only connection there because the new Ultimate Universe, Earth 6160, is shaped and molded by the Maker, who's that evil version of Reed Richards from the old 1610 Ultimate Universe. He's really the only direct connection between the two universes. The Maker has made Earth 6160, to his taste, more rational and orderly. He does this by using a time machine to go back and preemptively kill, imprison, or otherwise neutralize this universe's versions of all the supers who might have gotten in his way. So, for instance, he smacks the radioactive spider before it can bite young nerd Peter Parker. 
So it's a very low superhero kind of universe. It's pretty much him and his his things in charge. But uh, right now, we don't have the Maker around. He's not on the scene. He's trapped inside a thing called the City, which is this technological structure he himself had built in Latveria, which is like his seat of power. And he's going to be stuck in there for the next 24 months. He was trapped there by this world's, and I'm going to try to stop saying this world's too many times, but kind of unavoidable. This world's Howard Stark, who is stuck in there with him, and by this world's Reed Richards, who is not. Now, I still don't really understand where the 24 months comes from. Hickman just kind of threw that at us at the end of Ultimate Invasion number four. Did that make any more sense to you? Am I missing something, or is it intentionally vague and mysterious? So in the Ultimate Invasion storyline, they talk about how the city doors lock down, and then they reopen after some period of time. And I think when uh, the Kang of this world showed up and got into the city and was fighting with the Maker, he did something where he, like, he crashed into like the gates or something, and it started the shutdown process. And so, okay, like a like a bank time lock sort of thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah, roughly like that. So it was like during the during the conflict at the same time that the the Doom of this world, which is just Reed Richards wearing a Doom outfit, escaped with a time machine, a broken time machine, and so he escaped. And in the city is now King and Howard Stark and the Maker. And the thing that's interesting about the city, King might be dead. Well, I don't think again. I don't think it was clear. He was at least defeated, and Howard removed his face mask and saw who it was, but we, we the readers didn't. Yeah. yeah, so there's this whole complicated time loop deal involving Howard Stark, the Maker, and Kang. I'm interested in that. I don't think that's going to matter much to the stories we get right now, right? I don't think that's going to matter for Ultimate Spider-Man or X-Men. Uh, I, I expect some kind of event to happen in, oh, probably about 24 months. Where that becomes important again. So if you're curious about that, you can read Ultimate Invasion, but it doesn't matter. Do I have the thing to push? Where is it? It doesn't matter. There. It doesn't matter if all you want to know is, hey, what the heck is up with Ultimate Spider-Man? The one, the one bit of that that does matter is that Doom of this world escaped with a broken time machine, which he then gave to what they called the Immortus Engine, and then he gave it to Iron Lad. And Iron Lad then was able to use that to go back in time and get ice imprisoned Captain America before the Maker was able to go back and X him out and kill him. Now, we're saying Dr. Doom here. I don't think they ever call him Doom in the book, but he has the mask that looks like Doom. And what happened was that the Maker found the 6160 Reed Richards. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have stretchy powers. I don't think any of the Fantastic Four got their cosmic powers, but if Reed Richards is still, you know super smart in every universe. Yeah, one of the data pages was basically that he stopped the Fantastic Four from getting bombarded with their radiation, and so the people were just people, and then he grabbed his, I guess, clone or body double or whatever. Doppelganger. <laughs> doppelganger of this, I mean, except he's not the doppelganger, right? Like, the, the maker's sort of the doppelganger, but basically he took the 60, 6160 Reed Richards and forced him to wear the kind of Doom-style mask. Right, which is probably just a, a weird sense of humor thing from the maker to put, you know, Victor Von Doom kind of mask on Reed Richards. That's yes. kind, of, kind of cool. And I don't think we've seen a Victor Von Doom in this world yet. We haven't, no. We've and spent some time in Latveria, which yes. is, you think, think you'd see there, but we haven't. The other thing is, and this is just, I mean, I guess it won't really play into these new issues, but it's of interest to me, is that 
it seems very much like the Kang of this world is actually just Iron Lad in the future. That's certainly hinted at because in this universe, Howard Stark was Iron Man. I think it was even in public, he was Iron Man. Yeah. At the end of the series, Ultimate Invasion, when young Tony builds his own similar armor, he calls himself Iron Lad. And in the 616, Iron Lad is a young, time-displaced version of Kang. Yes. Yeah. So the hints are all there to at least make the readers think there's a connection between Tony Stark and Kang now and Iron Lad now and Kang in the future. Something is definitely going on. Or Hickman just wants you know to red herring us and make us think something's going on. And the other weird bit about the city is allegedly some... It, it, the time in the city passes faster than time in the outside world, so 24 months in... I guess it's a bit like the Children of the Vault. 24 months in the 6160 time is going to be like a thousand years in yeah, it's inside the city. definitely a Children of the Vault thing. In the original Ultimate Universe, the maker built his version of the the, the vault, and that's what he called the city. So that's this is him doing that same thing again. So it's certainly connections going back to the vault. Okay, so... Uh, bigger picture world building, the world of Earth 6160 is run by a secret cabal of the rich and powerful. So kind of like our world. I'm mostly kidding. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I don't think they have an official name in this group. I'm just calling them the cabal because I think it sounds cool and mysterious. So if I say the cabal, this is what I'm talking about. They had been operating under and with the permission and guidance of the maker. But for now, you know, they're on their own because he's trapped in the city. Now, yeah, the, the basic premise was that humans always end up in conflict with each other and we will we're very self-destructive species and the only way to balance our tendencies and prevent us from destroying ourselves and instead actually realize our potential is to create artificial conflict and so these groups of influential people that actually all collaborate together they you know have dominions around the world and every x number of years one of them gets to play the bad guy and their society. Very conspiracy theory, the idea that all the people who seem to be in conflict are really running the show behind the scenes, and they're all, you know, taking advantage of us regular guys. Everybody else rallies against them, and their societies advance, and... Yeah, creating creating fake enemies to make cultures come together, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, while the continents and oceans, usual shapes, the same thing as, you know, here in the 616, most countries, as we know them, don't seem to exist anymore. They've kind of split the world up into much larger political blocks, not not a hundred countries, like a dozen maybe regions. And each one of these blocks is under the control of one of the cabal members. There is a hole in their power, a teeny tiny one in the middle of Africa. Presumably, this is Wakanda, and we're going to learn about this in Ultimate Black Panda, Panther. What was that? Ultimate Black Panda. That'd be a whole different book, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just a guy in a suit, just <laughs> rolling on his back and eating bamboo and not reproducing. Okay, moving on. Uh, so the Kamal here, the Cabal, is made of a mix of familiar and unfamiliar characters. We see Magic and Colossus and Omega Red, who look like their usual X-Men type selves. We haven't seen Mikhail, which made me wonder what the heck happened to him. Well, that's true, the missing, uh, the missing sibling. Yeah. So Hulk is there, but he's gray and kind of mystical- uh, there's a Captain He's like Britain. peace oriented, which is a little weird. Like kind Zen, of, yeah. Zen, but like then he loses his cool and like berserks out and turns he's into in, regular. He's Hulk. in charge of like the India, Southeast Asia, and down into Australia kind of region. So I think they're playing yeah. with some of their like shaman, holy man tropes of that part of the world. Yeah, uh, there is a Captain Britain 
but he speaks French. I love that. I think that's <laughs> really hilarious. We'll see him in this issue. Uh, Emmanuel DaCosta is there representing South America. And in the 616, he's Sunspot's dad. So, again, a lot of connections. Hickman loving to pull in things from all over the place. Uh, so, following the death of Obadiah Stane, who was kind of the guy in charge of North America, and the presumed death of Howard Stark, who we know is now really just trapped inside the city, there's a power vacuum right now in North America. Nobody's really in charge there. And, of course, that makes for an unsettling time among these, these power brokers. Now, at the end of Ultimate Invasion number four, Reed and Tony set out to put this universe back the way it should be, right? Back the way it would have been without the Maker interfering. Basically, it seems to make it as much as they can like Earth-616. And against the Cabal. The H Howard in, I guess Howard in Ultimate Invasion was introduced to this idea, so he realizes, oh my gosh, like this is the secret reality, like the power behind the world, but he didn't like it, right? So he was getting set up to, you know, the American group to kind of try to break it all up. A lot like what we've seen uh, in the previous uh, run of Captain America. I don't know if you read that, where there was this whole weird group of, you know, power brokers behind the scenes and Bucky gets involved with it. It's a lot like this. Yeah. And then, yeah. So since I was trapped, he got the message out with Doom Reed, and then they told Tony, and I think Tony took up the mantle of going against the cabal so the, those four issues were told in a very out of order hide the mysteries reveal things in weird ways kind of style this book is a lot more straightforward for like the first 35 of the 40 pages and it gets kind of weird at the end but but we'll get there let's get, start with the credits and we'll dive right on it. this is ultimate universe number one written by jonathan hickman art by stefano caselli Colors by David Curiel, letters by Joe Caraman. This is not a multiversal book. It takes place entirely within the 6160. Uh, in fact, almost all of Ultimate Invasion also was just in the 6160, other than the very first issue, which kind of got us into this new universe. So this is not a crisscrossing, multiple versions of everybody. It's just, here's this other universe, and we're going to stay inside it. And I think we're probably going to stay like that for a while. I certainly hope so. I much prefer a different universe story to yet another multiverse story. I mean, we can see that eventually in the future. So when the Maker left his original Ultimate Universe, he was imprisoned on the 616. And then the issue starts with him kind of escaping his captivity and then fleeing into the multiverse. And one of the cool things Hickman did was he asks the 616 read, like, if you had the ability to, like, kill me instead of just imprisoning me, would, like, would you do it? And he says yes. And that, in theory, would inform why the Maker, when he gets to the 6160, decides he has to like take everybody out, right? Yeah, because that, they come to back, back that a couple times. That's clearly something that is living in the Maker's mind and, and driving some of his choices. So you got to take out all the heroes because they would take you out in any multiverse if they could. And it was hinted at that the 616 would still be trying to take him out, at least the Illuminati, right, are going to know he's a threat out there. Yeah. But six one six is working hard on how to how to fix this. Yeah, and I'm sure there'll be a crossover event at some point. Again, probably in about twenty four months. I think that's why Hickman set up a twenty four month ticking clock to begin with, is so we can have this event showing up. But we haven't heard about it yet. We're just predicting it must happen. Okay, into this book itself. Uh, we start off in Asgard with Tony Stark and Reed Richards breaking in to free this universe's Thor. Again, I'm going to try to stop saying this universe's. Clearly, it's this universe's. 
So we're shown a close-up of rooms on the door. Like we're shown it like three times on this one page. Makes me think it must be something important there, but I don't know about you, Ruben, but I don't speak rune. So <laughs> I have no idea what this says. Tried to Google it. Uh, I know even Jim and Simon in the, the Slack chat tried to figure it out. We got nothing. So if there's any any Vikings out there who, who, can, who can read rune and tell me, it looks like Ker Merpib. <laughs> right, that's all I got. Uh, I have no idea what it means. It probably means... You know, Prisoner Thor or something obvious yeah. like that, but yeah. don't get it. Now, we don't know exactly why Thor's in prison. He says he's been branded a traitor. And there yeah, was a well, we panel. Saw, we saw ahead. an ultimate invasion. Mm-hmm. One of the manipulation things that the Maker was doing was basically putting Loki in charge of Asgard. Yeah, we saw a panel with no words, with Loki on the throne, Thor kneeling before him, a bunch of other Asgardians looking on, and the Maker lurking there in the background with that that big old wolf. Is it Fenrir? The giant wolf guy. So yeah, clearly the Makers manipulated something. And later in this issue, Tony says that the Maker helped Loki kill Odin. So it doesn't say they framed Thor for the murder, but that, that's kind of implied, I think. Yeah. I mean, if Loki takes over, what's he going to do? If he's in charge, right? throw, your, throw your brother in prison. Why not, right, right? Sure. And you could imagine that Loki would be possibly working with the Cabal. You know, surely going to try to screw them over at some point because he's Loki, but... He would, he would at least start to play ball or appear to play ball. Now, instead of he- heading right back to their ship, Thor marches the trio into a throne room. Uh, probably the same throne room seen in that panel of invasion, probably. Loki's not there right now, but Lady Sif is, as are some more generic Asgardian warriors. And Mjolnir's there too, which is what Thor came for. So it's not much of a battle, over pretty quick. Thor calls the hammer to his hand, smashes and lightnings everybody else there and then uses the hammer to teleport himself and the rescuers back to Stark Tower. Now, when he teleports himself, it seems to leave this runic labyrinth pattern on the floor. Did you notice that? That's kind of cool looking. I I, I like that there's a different thing separating this Thor from other Thors. I'm not sure if that's going to mean anything or be a plot point, but it looks really cool. I think it's awesome. It's just a bolt of lightning zaps down and kind of bifrosts you away, although it's not the bifrost. And then you can imagine this glowy pattern there for at least a little bit. And we also see Lady Sif, who, you know, as she, she gets initially knocked down by Thor, and then she's like going for round two, kind of like dives into the teleportation beam. Yeah, she, I guess she does. I didn't catch that the first time around because she does show up with them later. And I thought she was also a teleporter, but no, she just kind of jumps into the beam at the last second. Yeah, because she's a warrior, right? Like she didn't want her prisoner, Thor, yeah, to get she's away. she's like the warden. We're not quite sure of their relationship, but she feels very much responsible for her prisoner. So uh, one question I had is, how did Thor know to go back to Stark Tower? I guess there was an off-panel conversation he teleports <laughs> to a place that he's never been to, presumably. I mean, he could have teleported anywhere. And then Maybe they multi jump. Yeah, and then they tell you, hey, like, you need to get us to Sipless. It didn't bother me that much, right? Like, once it you start teleporting. Me, I was just curious about it, yeah. Yeah, you teleport anywhere. Maybe we'll get that uh, uh, director's cut deleted scene of them somewhere in the wasteland saying, hey, what are you doing here, Sif? And oh, by the way, it's at the, it's in Manhattan at the corner of, you go here. Yeah. It's just, yeah, they'll be, they'll be there. Uh, my other question. So Tony and Reed took some sort of a billion-dollar spaceship to Asgard. Yeah, it's still there. It's still there. It's still parked there. I think yeah. that's funny. Yeah, the original plan was to rescue Thor quietly and then fly <laughs> off on the ship, and Thor's yeah. like, hell no. Thor's not a sneak-off-quietly kind of guy. Yeah. I Plus did they didn't like- have Mjolnir. 
Well, I did like the bit where Tony asks Reed kind of off to the side, why didn't he just, why didn't Thor just summon his hammer when he was in his cell? I thought that was funny because I was thinking exactly that same thing at that same time. So I, I was glad it got brought up. And Reed says, well, probably because he didn't want to. I, I can buy that. Thor wanted to be, you know, make a statement, show up, take his hammer, kick some ass and leave. Yeah. And also, I mean, if Loki took power by killing Odin, right, you could imagine there's a period of time where Thor is kind of distraught that his father's dead. And even if he has the ability to escape the prison, you could see him just like contemplating that situation and not necessarily being yeah, inclined to like escape quickly. It seems like Thor doesn't know that he's not at least partially responsible. He doesn't know that the Maker did these things. So when Reed and Tony tell him, no, no, it was the Maker who screwed you over, that kind of makes him want to take action. Yeah, because he's probably like, what the hell? Like, I'm supposed to be the defender of Asgard and, you know, my brother kills Odin and takes charge. Like, I failed in my duty, that kind of thing. So that's kind of getting him off the bench and, and into play. So now we're back at Stark Tower, however many jumps it took to get here. Uh, and Captain America is in there too, but he's still trapped in a chunk of ice, which doesn't seem to be melting. So I don't know how cold Tony keeps his AC, but uh, <laughs> it, it's it's chilly. Now, in, in Ultimate Invasion, Cap was someone the Maker really wanted to get rid of, but he couldn't find him. So it turned out to be a timey-wimey thing where, I guess, Tony and Reed used the time machine to kind of go back and move Thor or move Cap yes. to a different location yep. to kind of save. I mean, you know, every Marvel Universe, basically, it's finding Captain America that makes things start off. Always a big deal. And I actually thought there's a little cool meta thing here, which I'm sure no writer will be sophisticated enough to do anything good with. But, you know, Cap's always a man out of time. But in this universe, he's also a man prior to, like, the maker messing with everything. So he's, like, in a way, even a more pure character. Yeah, yeah. he's, like, untouched by this this uh this you know, taint of destruction so he's like the hero who is the way he should have been in this universe yeah excellent Time point displaced. i like that so here he is in a giant ice cube and thor being this straightforward kind of guy he just wants to take his hammer and just you know hammer cap to freedom and tony says yeah that might work out okay but it also might might kill him we don't know so for now they're going to play it safe and leave Cap in the ice cube. And yes, uh, Lady Sif, yet to be revealed, is, is here too. Uh, here to look after Thor. She's not trying to drag him back to Asgard. She's just kind of hanging out, keeping an eye on things. So she's kind of on the team as well. Yeah. Not really sure what her motivations are exactly. That's also kind of mysterious. She seems to have this like perception of like, I'm still a part of the Asgardian court and I still have a duty as your jailer to bring you back, but well, it's almost like as heart, long as I'm still here with you, you're still yeah. technically my prisoner. <laughs> I'm just taking you out for a walk. Exactly. <laughs> Which I'm sure she's not really Team Loki, right? But at the same time, she's part of the government, so that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and I hope we get more of that because by the end, it seems like we might not. Uh, no. So Reed explains the situation to the two Asgardians. The Maker changing history, trying to put it back, all that kind of stuff that we knew if we read Ultimate Invasion. Specifically, tells them how Thor is supposed to be king of Asgard, not Loki. So Thor, of course, on board, and Sif kind of along for the ride, at least for now. Next mission for this group is to break into the Maker's storage units and steal back all the stuff that he took from those heroes he prevented from being heroes. So really convenient for them. They have a teleporter on the team now. That's very handy. Yeah. Save a lot of time and effort. And I mean, it, I'm guessing they did that intentionally. 
I mean, that's probably why you look for him. I don't know if they knew that Thor was a teleporter because they planned on flying the spaceship back. I think yeah. it might just be a bonus. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that's right. whatever they knew, uh, they get teleported off to Latveria, which is where the Maker had his headquarters. Uh, Thor has to kind of physically bust his way through a security field. Seems perfectly okay at first, but it can have some consequences shortly. And there are a lot of storage units here, at least a dozen, at least a dozen each, like as big as a bus. This is the part that reminded me of, of Storage Wars. Have you ever ever watched that really dumb show? Yeah. I and think it's, I, it's I would love weird. to see a Disney Plus Marvel version of Storage Wars. I think yeah. that would be a good time. <laughs> so, But they're surprised at just how many of these damn things there are, because the point was, oh, we'll go there, Thor will teleport it all back together, and we'll have all this stuff. Uh, so Thor sees all this at least a dozen units, and he's going to try to teleport them all because he's big macho Thor man. But before he can even try, he gets a sword shoved right through his back and out the front. No no spidey sense for this Thor, or for anybody else on the team, or possibly no no hearing or peripheral vision, because he got right up to him. And uh, so, Ruben, who, who stabbed Thor here? I don't know what this character's name is, but the, the French Jamie Braddock. The French Captain Britain. Uh, yeah. In Ultimate Invasion, we were told, like in a captain, his name is Henri Dugari or Dugare. Is he anyway, uh, we're gonna call him Henry. a clone of anyone or like a... I don't think so. I, I okay. Googled him and didn't get any hits. So I think he's just a new character. So yeah, in, in this world, he's a member of the Cabal and he's in the control of all of Europe, including the British Isles. So French Captain Britain. He has both the Sword of Might and the Amulet of Right. Which usually Captain Britain has only one of those things, but he has them both. So he's like, you know, Super Extra Saiyan power. Captain Britain. Yeah. So now we have a fight of everybody against Captain Britain. Tony's Iron Lad mask gets knocked off, and Captain Britain recognizes him, probably because he recognizes that he resembles his dad, who Henry met in Ultimate Invasion. Well, Tony here puts the palm of his hand over Henry's face and blasts, I probably, I guess it's a repulsor because it's very uh, Iron Man y. Glasses repulsor right in Henry's face. Later, we'll see this kind of blinds him in his left eye. I think it just obliterates the eye entirely. Pretty nasty. So Thor takes advantage of this lull in the fight to teleport them back to Stark Tower, but in his wounded condition, in a hurry, he only gets one of the stor storage units to come back with. So these things are still out there to be found later on. Thor is in bad shape. Tony activates some of his dad's tech to try to at least stabilize Thor's condition. I think this is an interesting aspect here that we have Tony Stark and we have all this Stark technology, but he doesn't really know how it works very well. He's still a, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's called a teen at some point. So he is, he's still really just a kid. We, we, we expect he's going to be the genius he always is, but he's, he's not quite there. They look in the storage container. They find a cryogenic storage area that holds, quote, many, many catalysts. I guess the catalysts are the things that the maker took away that would have made the heroes heroes. For instance, we see Reed take out one that looks, you know, it's it's the spider that would have bitten Peter. Before we get to see what else is in there, we cut back to Latveria, where Henry is conferring with some of his fellow Cabal members about the break-in, and especially about how mad he is about his eye. You know, reasonable. I would be pretty pissed off, too. Somebody repulsors my eye. Hulk, he recovers awful quickly. He just kind of puts a patch over it. He's good to go. It seems to be right away. Yeah, he's got the he's got that amulet. That's fine. I, I guess so. I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, Hulk has a plan. He thinks that, hey, we can make this actually work out well for us. Uh, we want to get control of North America, 
and we can do kind of a screw Tony thing over here that gives us an excuse to to take over and expand our power. Yeah, Hulk here again tr- has that surface aspect of being very peaceful, meditation kind of guy. His faction is even called Children of Eternal Light. His plan not very peaceful. He's going to use a satellite, a satellite owned by the Cabal or controlled by the Cabal at least, built by Stain Stark Industries. Uh, I like how the satellite has a logo that says Stain Stark. The overlapping A for the two la- two names is the Avengers logo. Has a nice little touch. Uh, so the satellite he has unleashed this huge blast right at New York City. And here's a bit I didn't really understand. Right before the blast, something odd starts happening to Tony's suit. These black, usually called like Kirby dots. You've, you've seen this thing in all Marvel comics since the 60s. Uh, it means something cosmic-y is going on. Weird energy. These dots start floating out of like the middle of his chest arm. Any idea what's going on here? So I think this is tied back to Ultimate Invasions, and it looked like he had put the Immortus engine into the place where oh. you sometimes see that, um, I don't know what you call it, but the thing that stabilizes Tony. So he's at it there, and so I, I think this is, because basically they're like, hey, we see the satellite activating, oh crap, like, we don't have enough time to stop it or disable it or whatever, we gotta do something. And we don't know exactly what he does, but, you know, he does something. And I'm guessing it has something to do with that Immortus engine. Does he go back in time? Does he create? Does it also allow him to create some kind of giant force field over their space? Unclear. But we don't know. It doesn't. We don't see him manually trigger it. It almost looks like he's surprised it's happening too, like it's happening yeah. automatically. But like again, an very unclear. Yeah, uh, something weird's going on. So it blasts, and yeah, it looks like everybody there could be, should be dead, unless something with these Kirby dots and Immortus engine is there to save them. So we're almost done here. Not quite. First, we get uh, a map page. Hickman loves his maps, especially if you got maps with like either dots or hexagons on them. Yeah. And this has so many dots on this page. Uh, it shows us that the Cabal was successful in dividing up North America. It's been split between the European Coalition, Captain Britain, and the Children of the Eternal Light, which is Hulk's faction. Uh, it reminds me of that Philip K. Dick novel, The Man in the High Castle. I think it was a TV show a couple of years ago. Ever read or see that? Mm-mm. It's one of those what if stories, which is like what if it's like Germany, the thing with Nazis, right? Yeah, what if Germany yeah. and Japan won World War II, and like Germany takes over the east half of the country, Japan takes over the west half, kind of yeah. like that. Except Hulk's faction isn't really Japan; Japan's its own thing. This is anyway similar kind of concept. And now after the map, we get an epilogue. This is for sure like a color blindness test too. I'm like staring at it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like what the hell color is my even with my region I know, I, I'm not colorblind, but the colors chosen are they're they're not chosen for contrast or ease of reading. It's it's meant to look good, and it looks really cool to look at. But trying to figure out from the key, wait, what color is that dot? It's there's like four different shades of pink, and some of them are the same. I it's 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 not clear, but it's it really bothering really me because I'm like tabbing back and forth, and I'm like I don't even know if the <laughs> Children of the Eternal Light like own the pacific northwest or is it the shadow of the immortal hand anyways some portion of the are they the same are they different yeah yeah unclear oh hickman oh uh, yeah so we move on to our epilogue one week later where we're brought up to date kind of by a news anchor uh, we see that several new york city buildings are just evaporating stark tower being one of them no rubble so either there wasn't any wreckage or it was all removed super quickly i, I think that the idea is it just they're just gone turned to, to dust and, and vapor. 
which is kind of a disturbing sight for those of us old enough to remember certain historical events. It, it's a disconcerting panel. It must be on purpose. I am sure that's intentional. Yeah. And I'm wondering, did he, d- is this the laser beam's fault or did Tony like teleport all of this into some other point in time? That would be an interesting twist to not have all these people actually dead. That would actually be nice. That would make me feel better. Uh, which also would kind of be similar to what happened in Fantastic Four semi-recently, where the Baxter building got teleported or moved a year into the future. So there is that hole in New York City where the Baxter building should be, but it's just time displaced. And then we need to see Wynn and uh, Dimitri <laughs> putting a, one of their weird little dots. That, I mean, the idea of a crossover between the two isn't the craziest thing ever. It would be fun. I don't expect to see that, but uh, hmm, interesting. So yeah, the news guy says there's thousands of people missing, presumed dead, with the names of these presumed victims scrolling along the bottom of the screen. Now, some of these are unknown. Some of these are real-world people thrown in as Easter eggs. Like uh, Lin Wen turns out to be a costume designer for the Marvel movies. Easter eggs, really not relevant. But we do see Norman and Emily Osborne, Mr. and Mrs. Green Goblin. We see May Parker. Oh, no, Aunt May. Yeah. That made me sad. Uh, And we see this might be nothing. Alexander Pryor. So that is Alexander Summers' first name, Havoc. Madeline Pryor's last name. Maybe this universe they have a kid. I don't know. Just, just it could be absolutely nothing. Could be an Easter egg. But I thought it was, it was done. Who's Douglas Pack? Is that the uh, Fox Sentinel guy, or is that just a totally different name? Uh, no. Uh, the this Fox, the Sentinel guy is B O C H S Box. Oh. So I, I, I don't know if Douglas Pack is anybody. I, I, I didn't come up with anything when I googled that one. So the newscaster says that this terrible act was committed by quote a teenage boy. So I guess Hulk and the Cabal were able to pin this on Tony. Yeah. We don't see how or if yeah. anybody believes it. They figure out it's a satellite and it's got the Stain Stark logo on it. And then Yeah, but uh, it doesn't seem to be even like, oh, maybe something went wrong. It seems very clear that this newscaster is saying, yeah, the kid did it on purpose. Yeah. The newscaster also ties in an incident that doesn't seem like we obviously related. I'm not sure why he puts them together. Way over in Japan, uh, well... They call it He no Kuni, or Country of the Sun, according to Google Translate in, in, in this book. A car hits a 15-year-old girl on a bicycle. The girl is fine. The car is total. So I'm going to go not very far out on a limb and say, hey, this is Isago Ichiki, who's <laughs> yeah. going to be the main character of Peach Momoko's, Peach Momoko's Ultimate X-Men book, The Mutant Armor. So that's our little, little promo for Ultimate X-Men. And on this last page, separate from the news broadcast, we see two more important things. The first is the silhouette of a man. No location given. And at first I thought this might be Captain America, freed from the ice by the satellite blast, walking through nah, the rubble. Black Panther, man. Yeah, that's right. I'm, 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 I'm there now, but that was my, my first <laughs> thing was, oh, because, you know, Cap, his, his, head, his head with the wings has the yeah. wings. Yeah. This has ears. But it's then the claws I that tips in, you off. Yeah, yeah, I zoomed in and saw he's definitely got claws. And I'm thinking, well, either Cap's now the Wolfman, <laughs> which Wolf I don't think they're going to go Wolf Cap right away. But probably, <laughs> yeah, probably Black Panther. Okay, Black Panther. So yeah, this is just yeah, showing believes, us out of nowhere. Hickman believes that's the me. most important character <laughs> development that should never have been abandoned. Uh, that would be awesome. That would be really <laughs> awesome. So yeah, that's Black Panther. Uh, so we, we've seen cues to Ultimate X-Men. We've seen this little little reference to Ultimate Black Panther. 
And we did see the spider in the vial, so I guess that's our hint about Ultimate Spider-Man, because the very last panel in the book is this headshot of a very angry-looking but quite alive Tony Stark. Yeah, we talked about this before. It's either Tony Stark or maybe that's angry Peter Parker. I, I don't know. What I color think it looks eyes too are Peter's? I, I, I went back and I actually took some screenshots of other pictures of Tony Stark in this book. And the yeah. lighting here is very different. And the facial expression is very different. But I'm pretty sure yeah. this has to be Tony Stark. Yeah. I'll be I guess very he's like, if you're going to take a shot, you got to... You got to take me out, that kind of thing. Yeah, and the background <laughs> is just black, but with some some white lights with maybe jets of energy coming out of them. I have yeah. no idea where he is or what's going on, but I think, I think the, the point art here is to show us one. he's alive. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a fail or just Hickman wanted it to be mysterious. Yeah. So one I of those things him- you can't tell, intentional or unintentional yeah. confusion. I would have put him in the uh, Iron Lad torso so you'd at least know okay that's definitely tony that that would have helped just a little bit of the armor something you could see it would, would, would be wouldn't cool but yeah uh we don't see thor or reed or sif it's possible they're all dead right this is a whole other universe and one of the benefits of being in like the ultimate universe or this new ultimate universe is you can really kill characters off and not have to bring them right back that's interesting maybe the armor only saved tony who knows could, could yeah. be some of them all of them uh, because, yeah, it, in, like when we saw Magneto die in the regular 616, we're like, oh, well, that was kind of a cool scene. But yeah, he's definitely coming back. And we now know there's a whole series of bringing him back. But in an Ultimate Universe, people really die. So it's possible. I, I think the odds are they're all still alive, but not necessary. So yeah, it's hard to... I, I did enjoy this book a lot. It's kind of hard to sum this up in a score. The art looks really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, it looks a little different from the Ultimate Invasion book. It's The colors are a little less pastel, a little more you know, kind of standard primary comic book colors. I think the look of Ultimate Thor is neat. Yeah, he's really Enjoy cool. him. I really liked when he got the hammer and powered up, and I was like, oh, he looks like a badass. And then he kicks ass, so he was a badass. Yeah, he really does. And there's a lot of seeds planted for the future that, you know, we don't know when they're going to be used or picked up or... I don't know when the story of Tony Stark is going to be moving forward, because the books that we have coming up are Ultimate Spider-Man, written by Hickman. That only comes out January 10th. Now that's, I guess because it's a Hickman book, that's the one most likely to have Tony in it, but could be. Then we have Ultimate Black Panther by Brian Hill. That comes out in February. And then Ultimate X-Men by Peach Pomoko coming out in March. So all these mysteries... I don't expect to get them solved anytime soon, maybe even not referred to anytime soon. So that's a little disappointing. I would love to see a you know ultimate Iron Man, ultimate Iron Lad book to, to pick up the story that we've been following because I don't know where this story is going to go. I think it's cool. I, I'm actually really intrigued and I, I think I picked up Ultimate Invasion on a whim, but I'm actually really invested in this and I'm going to pre-order these three books. The, the preview of Peach Momoko's story is a little weird in the sense that like the tone is different her her art especially changes the vibe so it's kind of jarring but at the same time i am interested in like this whole universe and yeah the, the peach art, it's a judgment. very anime look it's a japanese girl in school it's got a watercolor kind of coloring and it looks very much like a little kid discovering her powers kind of a story super different feel it's very not a hickman kind of feel to it but you know 
this is a whole universe that's being created. So I'm okay with there being different kinds of stories with different tones and different art, which isn't to say it'll necessarily be great, but, you know, I'm at least going to give it the, the test drive and see what I think. Yeah, the two pages we get feel very much like a Miss Marvel thing, where it, she's, it like, having like a dream. It feels like the two pages of a new Shonen Jump manga, is what yeah. it feels like. Yeah, Which art. isn't the worst thing in the world. I tend to like those. So, yeah, I, I put a number on this. Uh, I, I'd be again. I'd be more excited if there, if I knew where this story itself was going, and if I hadn't read Open Invasion, I'd be so confused here. But as someone who has read Open Invasion, likes this story, likes Hickman's way of telling stories most of the time, I'm going to give this uh, a little solid eight point three out of ten. Why not? Uh, I'm a little bit higher. I'm going to say eight five. This isn't the the ultimate you know best story I've ever read, but as a continuation of the story we have been reading, it ramps it up and. Um, it sold me on three new books, <laughs> which is <laughs> oh, that uh, makes Marvel happy. Yeah, which, which makes Marvel happy, sure. And I'm curious about this, um, the dynamic of the different factions, right? Like what's going on in America now, and tons of possibilities. Yeah, yeah, very intrigued. That's it from us, uh, Ruben and I. We both liked it. Uh, if you don't like Hickman's way of writing, this probably isn't going to change your mind. But if you want to see a whole different universe. That's not the old Ultimate Universe, and willing to kind of put your trust in a writer and say, take me somewhere new, why don't you check it out? Now we'll turn it back over to Jim. All right, now I'm here with my man, Zach. What up, Zach? What's up, Jim? What's up? And we're going to be talking The Avengers number seven, an issue that I'm still scratching my head about. It's Twilight yeah. Dreaming Part 1, written by Jed McKay, art by C.F. Avilia. Uh, colors by Frederico Blee and letters by VC's Corey Petit. Now we just get done with the Ashen Combine. You end up having the Avengers staying on the Impossible City. All of these wacky things that started out with Kang kind of telling the Avengers, hey, this stuff's going to happen. I'm going to give you a little bit of hints to save a bunch of people. And in turn, I want you to defeat these tribulation events that are coming. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of terms thrown at you for some things that aren't that great and kind of head-scratching, as I said, because this issue, after the Ashen Combine stuff, I thought, okay, that was kind of wacky. Coming off of the Jason Aaron stuff and the multiverse and all this stuff, I was hoping for a bit of a different kind of play, and it's a bit different. But we get to this part, and I thought, got that first arc down. All right, let's get to something interesting let's get to what i thought people liked in the first issue actually was a little bit of a personal look at each of the avengers the idea that they were saying oh captain marvel she's not that annoying in this book or i like when sam wilson was helping that trucker who was doing how was that guy that that was me and remember when i said we're not seeing that guy again me and you were talking about it and yeah so when you get into this issue I kind of thought maybe after that big thing, we'll have a bit of a a grounded issue where maybe we can get some character work until we get to that next tribulation event. But we start out and when you first start out, it throws you off so much from what we had before, because right away, the moon is cracked in two. The, The earth is being destroyed. The Avengers are dead. And you're thinking to yourself, what's going on? You have characters in different costumes. You have weird stuff. Me and you both thought it might be multiversal stuff that we had dealt with the Ashen Combine saying we've destroyed a bunch of multiversal Avengers already and we've taken all these worlds, whatnot. I thought 
well, we're done with that story, but what are we doing here? And maybe we're just seeing that the rest of the multiverse is in big trouble. We have all this, but it's not that. And we go through a pretty much a slog, if you ask me, of an issue yeah. where you end up again having that play where Jed McKay is going to give you the Avengers, the engineer, the king, and the icon, the witch. You keep doing these things throughout this issue where maybe some people will enjoy it, but you're being told that this attack that they're trying to quell to try to fight, it's over. They've already lost. The yep. Avengers will die. Everything's done. And I, I remember uh, way back, I thought, I was listening to a podcast and I ended up, and it was, if I can remember, the Comic Vine podcast way, way back. Well, you end up where they were talking about Justice League and Avengers books. And I thought it was kind of silly what they said, but now that I've read more and kind of been, you know, through the whole deal, I kind of agree. When you have a book where everything is falls to the wall, going to end the world, every single issue, it starts to lose the oomph of it. You start to end up being desensitized to it. It starts to be too much. And coming out of that action combine, going into this issue, it did feel like this is just too much. Like, what's going on? You just end up defeating this world-threatening thing. And now we're in this weird play where everybody's dying. The world's destroyed. The moon's cracked into, again, this seems to happen a lot in the Marvel Universe, and then it just fixes itself. But in this, you're going through all these plays with this over-the-top narration to just lead to Wanda being the last one. She starts to seemingly hear the narration, which <laughs> then plays out weird because it's nightmare. That, that You tell them. Tell them what the twist is. I mean, we'll just get right to it here. What is happening in this issue? It's just a dream. It's That's it. Right? That's it. Yeah. It's a dream. And it's fine to do something like this in the first three, four pages. You know, have that little cold open. Oh, my God. But then we realize it's a dream. We hit the credits page and then we deal with that. Not this issue. This issue is every page, but like two. Yeah, the last two. So basically at the end, Jed McKay is telling you this. And I hate to this is a bunch of bullshit. And you didn't really need to read it because nothing was real. And so when you end up where Wanda figures it out, she's like, this isn't right. This doesn't seem like the real thing. Oh, my God, it's you, Nightmare. How dare you? You ended up and boom, she's there on the impossible city where all the Avengers are sleeping. And that's why they're having the nightmare. But then she ends up like, oh, my God, because one of the big plays in this is Vision was dead. Oh, yeah. my God, Vision's dead. Oh, dear. well, now Vision shows up. It's like, hey, what did I miss? Like, he just comes strolling. Oh, my God, Vision, you're alive. Thank God. Yep, I'm alive. But look who else is here. And then you just turn the page and you have Murden and the Twilight Court coming and saying, we have come to bring the end of Kang the Conqueror. These are characters set up in the timeless stuff by Jed McKay. That, that, that's the, that's the cliffhanger page. That's all. That's really the only thing that matters in this whole entire issue. They're here to finish the job on Kang. Cause I was like, okay, where's Kang? Let's kill him. Yeah, I could sit there and I could, if I if I would play devil's advocate and try to argue with you about how great this issue is, all you have to say is one simple sentence. It doesn't matter. If doesn't I said to you, if I said, oh my god, but it was really neat seeing Sam work magic through Wanda to attack. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's all a dream. You have things with Tony. 
he is going to end up being the engineer and he loves his machines and his war. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It's, it's <sighs> nothing. It's nothing. And then at the end, you just have this guy show up. Meriden's like, hey. That's the funny place. He just shows up. I don't even quite get what happens to Nightmare because this doesn't seem that connected. He's just, Merton shows up and is like, hey, what's going on here? Uh, by the way, we want to kill Kang. I'm like, this is a waste of an issue. There is hardly yeah. ever a time that I've read something this much of a waste of an issue. And I'm sure people give, oh, Judd McKay, this and that. This is bullcrap. This is actually embarrassing how crazy Nothing happens in this. It's so ridiculous. Now, it does kind of get Wanda and Vision to hug and whatever. I mean, if you like that, maybe it gets them towards, you know, getting together and whatnot again. But nothing else. Nothing else at all except at the end. Oh, my, it's Merton and the Twilight Court, which I don't really care about anyway. This is bull crap. What else is there to say? The art's okay. Yeah, the art's fine enough, yeah. You get to play, like, a little multiversal deal, but, I mean, we might as well have Bobby Ewing come out of the shower at the end and go, hey, everybody, nothing mattered. It doesn't matter. It's all bullcrap. It doesn't matter. What would you give this? (laughs) Uh, Well, we only got two pages of stuff, so I'm going to give it a two. Yeah, I think I'm a two as well, and I'll go with the same theory, that we got two pages of actual in-universe really things happening. Boom, and... He's trying to play this game where you come again, you're coming out of the Ashton Combine into this like it hits you like a brick wall. You don't know what's going on. So it does keep you kind of off balance so that he can go through the doesn't matter dream stuff. So then at the end, you're like, why? Why would you do this? Why couldn't we have had some character work? Not of the mind dreamscape of over the top. And I'm talking character work as in, hey, Carol. You did a really good job in the fight about the Ashen Combine, but I thought that got a little more of Sam and Black Panther was one of the real things that was going on in that last whole arc with the Ashen Combine, them trying to trust each other a little teeny bit more. But we have all these characters. Why not deal with them and what that whole, you know, tribulation event of the Ashen Combine meant instead of like, screw that. We don't even know how they fell asleep. Like nothing set up. It's just, Boom, right at you, and I'm like, holy crap, this was bad. Well, I wasn't a big fan of the first arc, but even then, like you said, we did need like a cooldown at least. I mean, you could have had, they got a brand new headquarters, why don't we explore it? The Impossible City, there's this whole thing, it's like, who is the Impossible City? Because it's a former, person. why couldn't we just do one issue focusing on that? Take a break. And it's a new headquarters that's actually sentient, so yeah. you could deal with it. Maybe you could have had, again, we're not the writers, but maybe you could have had, if you want to point out because he seems to want to, again, announce Iron Man, the engineer, Thor, the god, Vision, the construct, the witch, Scarlet Witch. Like, he wants do that through the Impossible City and maybe what he thinks of them being brand new and being the city and having them save him or that it from the Ashen Combine. Like, have something like that. But instead, you play these games with this dream and, and really try to wow people with this, oh, my God. The Avengers are dead. And even when you go, it's there came a day when Earth's mightiest heroes died. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, what, what are you doing? Because know. you're just like, is this a few? I thought that maybe, like we said, multiverse. But I thought maybe this was like a look ahead at some bad future. And maybe they have to avert it. But once I saw Carol and her Miss Marvel stuff, I'm like, this is a bunch of bullcrap. 
Yeah. Well, there was even a point where I thought maybe it was a flashback to something, but I was like, that still don't make sense because it's the same lineup that we currently have, and they've never been... Yeah. So that was my first thought. Then I thought, well, then it's got to be the multiverse, and it's like... It's just like such a disappointment. We just had this with DC. Like, come on now. And we had it a lot with Jason Aaron on the Avengers, so that's this is not a good play in my mind, though it's just a quick deal, but it's just a, it's a dream or a nightmare. Yeah. Two out of ten nightmare for me and you both. Yep. Unfortunately, it's very quick because really... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, we'll move on now. Thanks for joining me, Zach, for that. No problem. Hopefully, it gets better. I'm praying. Hopefully. And crossing my fingers, but we'll go on to the next book. All right. And that is it for the show. That is episode eight in the can, as they say. Oh, my goodness. I hope everybody enjoyed listening to us talk about these books, whether or not you agree with us. You might like things that we don't, and you may not like things that we do. But that's what is kind of cool, and that what's make, that kind of makes everything interesting. And if you do want to talk to us about some things like that, you can email us at weirdsciencemarvelcomics at gmail.com. We're kind of getting back in the swing of things of the weekly review show here. Very weekly, I may add, but we'll start adding some things to it. I have a plan with my man Aiden where we might end up doing a bunch of the facsimile stuff and just add some books along the way. And hopefully if we do get some mail, I will read the mail as well. Maybe mix in some news. We'll see. Like I said, everything is kind of shaping into something here. We'll see, but let's talk about what we will be talking about next week. There's a bunch of books coming out. Sometimes we add some things. Sometimes we take some out, but I do believe we'll be talking about Punisher. Number one, Thanos, number one, what if Dark Tomb of Dracula number one and Amazing Spider-Man number 37 did say Uncanny Spider-Man number three is coming up. But that seems very quick from that last issue. So we'll wait and see if it does come out, though. I will certainly be talking about that with my man, Jason. And again, maybe adding some other things as well. If you like what you heard, want to help us out for everything we do here and get a ton of exclusive podcasts, you can go over to our Patreon patreon.com slash weird science some of the things that we're doing right now me and my man matt have a crisis slash events podcast and we're going through the 2015 jonathan hickman secret wars kind of ties into this whole ultimate stuff that's going on right now so it's kind of cool deal that we're doing there i also have an ultimate marvel reading club podcast where you can listen to me go through the ultimate stuff and much much more i keep saying eventually Two of the books each week will be exclusive to the Patreon. Haven't really pulled the trigger on that just yet. But when it does, I'll let you know. But again, you can go and help us out at patreon.com slash weird science. But thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody who actually joined me tonight as well. Hey, everybody. Bunch of weirdos in the Get Fresh group. Beep, boop. And we'll talk to you later. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.